1: And today, my guest is Leora Lightwoman. Leora is a couples somatic therapist and a tantra facilitator. She's been working with couples, individuals, and groups since 1995, supporting intimacy and trauma resolution. Leora read psychology at Oxford University and subsequently trained in couples counseling, body psychotherapy, somatic. Experiencing and Tantra. She's the author of Tantra, The Path to Blissful Sex and the founder of Diamond Light Tantra. She is a practitioner of yoga and meditation, a parent of a fabulous teenager and a divorcee too. So I am super excited to welcome Leora Lightwoman to the show. Welcome Leora. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you on the show because I know this is going to be really exciting for my listeners and the viewers. So do tell us a little bit about you and what you do.
2: I'm a Tantra facilitator and I work with also Somatic Experiencing, which is a trauma release work of Peter Levine and a wide range of other Um, composites so for example I'm versed in yoga and meditation and I work essentially with couples and with intimacy and with individuals in relation to intimacy
1: Ooh, that sounds really exciting. I can't wait to get stuck into this. So explain, if you don't mind, just a little bit more about the somatic therapy, because you're talking about trauma release. I know a lot of my listeners are going through trauma. I mean, divorce is known as the second most traumatic life experience we go to after the death of a loved one. So how can this help any of the listeners who are thinking, gosh, yeah, I'm going through that right now. How can this help
2: me? Divorce itself can be a very traumatic experience and there can be degrees of trauma depending upon, you know, what was the nature of the divorce and how did it happen and what's happened subsequent to that. And, you know, an, an acute trauma like that can also stimulate earlier life experiences, which may not be in themselves traumatic, but they might you know influence uh, someone's capacity to deal with these situations. And so when I'm looking at an incident or an ongoing situation, because divorce can leave people in in circumstances which are ongoingly challenging and ongoingly um, stimulate that trauma, I'm looking at that in the context also of of their early experience. And uh, one of the, the ways that I would like to work with that is to help the nervous system come to a better place. So, you know, a lot of people report after a life event that's been very traumatic, challenging, stressful. They report, for example, physical symptoms. And, you know, a lot of these physical symptoms can be as a result of the nervous system not being able to settle. It's constantly in high alert.
1: Heartbreak is something that I know a lot of my listeners are thinking, yes, I I get that, because it actually, weirdly, feels like a physical pain even though it's it's you know you're not broken there's nothing bleeding you're not injured I mean emotionally yes but you do feel it as a physical pain
2: yes and it it actually does have an effect I can't quote the studies now but there have been studies on this you know I know from my my mother-in-law when her husband died she died pretty much you know thereafter she was fine before You know, it was literally heartbreak. She had no desire to live at that point. And I think these stories are so common. And, you know, there is a physical correlate. In fact, there is actually a whole nervous system, um, like a brain around the heart. So we have a, a nerve complex around the brain. We have it around the heart. We have it around the gut. And in fact, there are more nerves that come up from the gut to the brain than go down from the brain to the gut. So what's going on in our guts actually affects our mood and well-being more than, you know, what we're driving from up here. So one of the, the sort of jargonistic words that we might talk about is bottom up as well as top down. So when we address the issues on the somatic body level of the gut and of the heart, then actually also that helps the way the brain works. Whereas I think in the past, we were more focused on the brain as the center of the universe. And if we change the brain, everything changes. So that's still relevant, uh, but it's not the whole story. So, okay. you know, an- another one of the physical ailments that people can suffer after heartbreak is actually, you know, digestive problems, because it's hard to take in. And when the body's in um, fight and flight and in, in a constant loop of stress, then, then the guts constrict.
1: Oh, I see so I mean I I basically didn't eat I I was one of the ones who went on what's known as the divorce diet unintentionally yes. uh, because I just physically couldn't eat just eating yes. made me want to be sick yes yeah although I know a lot of clients who have turned to eating as a coping mechanism as well so it's you know you either go one way or the other I think but it's yes. it can be quite extreme that impacts on just what you do with your eating habits
2: Totally. So the constant eating is, again, an attempt at regulation. People think, you know, they're, they don't have self-control. But it's not that. It's when, when the system's very adrenalized, you're actually utilizing more sugar. And so you crave sugar more to try and calm the system down. And when you're in a state of high arousal and high alert all the blood goes to the periphery, it goes to your arms, it goes to your legs, it goes to your head, so that the body, if we were an animal, would be ready to flee a predator. And it takes it away from the guts. Because you don't want to have, you know, that's why if you're in, in extreme stress, you know, the, the body, you know, defecates or, or you urinate, because you're wanting to get rid of that, want to take everything away from that, so you can get on with the fight and flight. And the thing is, in the animal kingdom, once an animal has been stimulated to fight and flight, it does that, right? It either fights or it flees or it does both. And at some point, if it survived, the danger is over. And then what you see in the animal kingdom often, let's say it was a deer and it has escaped a predator, you'd see it actually shaking. You'd see it like there, shaking like this. And that would be all of that excess adrenaline, all the other hormones coming out of the body and then at a certain point it might just you know rest and then it would go back and be a deer it wouldn't have post-traumatic stress but you know in our lives the stresses that affect us you know are generally not animal predators they're they're much more uh, ubiquitous and they're much less defined and it's much less clear whether we've escaped or not and particularly if someone's gone through a traumatic divorce where the dynamics with you know the ex, particularly around the children, are going on all the time, it's constantly being re-stimulated. The work is how to then, even in that situation, to help the body restore itself to a place where it can remember the experience of safety, the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and restore. And then we can start to function better.
1: Yeah, cuz I think a lot of the time you're right. If you especially if you're divorcing a difficult person and that you know, I, the myth is, you know, once you escape the abusive relationship, everything will be great. Well, that doesn't happen especially if you've got kids and you're then thrown into trying to manage that system, co-parenting, parallel parenting, whatever you're attempting. It can be very difficult and the control um is still there and you're not really out of it. So I guess it's hard to be going through post-traumatic stress when you're still in the stress, which hasn't really ended yet. Although it's not as dangerous or as scary or maybe as overwhelming as it was, you're still trying to function. And I know a lot of my clients, that's one of the hardest things. You know, they want to move on. They want to be free, but they've still got this attachment because the, you know, that difficult person is still very much in their lives
2: that is the hardest thing because in fact, you know, the triggers and the stimulus and the activities that were traumatic in the past are still there and there's still the threat of that. And so, you know, it's that therefore it becomes even more crucial to learn techniques to be able to cope because you're wanting to be able to live, you know, a healthy life for a number of years, you know, whilst this situation perpetuates and People can confine themselves in various different patterns. Um, I had one client who found herself, you know, frequently in the fetal position, you know, even after the divorce because of what was happening with the ex-partner and the children. And, you know, we, we worked so that she actually, the heartbreak and the outrage at what was happening remained, but she no longer collapsed into the fetal position. So you know she was much more able to hold her dignity and actually model a different way of being for her children, so that at least the children had a counterpoint that they were drawn to. So instead of everybody collapsing, they actually found themselves much more drawn to her, because her whole nervous system communicated nonverbally to them safety, well-being, health. These are so crucial.
1: It's so important to have that, you know, at least one parent that gives you that stability and that sense of grounding, I think, for the kids. Mm. So how, Laura, does what you do with your clients help them to experience that and to develop those skills?
2: Well, I was thinking, actually, this might be a good moment if you would be happy, Sarah, for me to introduce... Um, a little exercise that might be helpful for the listeners, and and it'd be interesting for me to hear how does it land with you. Which is designed by Peter Levine, who's the originator of Somatic Experiencing, and it just helps to bring awareness and to bring uh, blood and energy to the guts, um, so that we can become more centered. So the center of gravity, known as the Hara in Eastern traditions, is actually just below the belly button. It's, it's in the guts. And often in panic, we start to breathe up here and we become very, you know, the thoughts race and we become anxious. And when we notice anxiety and racing thoughts, those experiences themselves can be anxiety provoking. So it becomes a vicious cycle. I notice I start breathing up very high so my throat and my
1: up here up right around my neck yes rather than down from my my belly so yeah that does happen
2: great to hear that you know you understand this it's natural when this happens we want it to stop so we, we we try to think it through and we become anxious about this and so this exercise it's like it's like a kind of commercial break it brings you into the body it gives you a different place to attend to It takes the pressure off the brain, which can't really deal with it in that moment. It gives an actual felt sense of something different. Are you struggling
3: to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as The Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life, and design a future you are excited to live Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup including free guides one-to-one coaching her heartbreak to happiness virtual retreats live retreats and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too visit www.sarahdavison.com today and start to feel happy again
2: so let's just begin and see. Um, yeah. So I'm worry. going to just be inviting, you and I'll do it with you. I don't know how that's going to work over the podcast, but we'll try it. Um, so the first sound is "voo." The quality of that vu is as if you were a foghorn at night at sea, and you wanted to indicate to um, a passing vessel not to collide. So it, it comes from deep down in the guts. And you want it to reverberate in your body, and it's deep and it's loud and it's resonant and it's purposeful. So, if I just start by demonstrating, so I'm going to close my eyes. So, the sound is VU and it goes like this.
1: Voo.
2: Voo. And then with my eyes still closed, I'm just going to take a breath, fully relax, and just notice how I feel.
1: Okay, I'm going to give
2: that a go. Great. Great. So maybe we do it together first time, and then you do it, and then I'll invite you to do it just on your own. So okay. Ready. Whenever you're ready, I'll just join you. Mm-hmm. And Then, just fully relax. and just let the breath breathe you. Great. And then just whenever you're ready, you can let the eyes come open.
1: It kind of resonates throughout my head, so I can sort of feel that sort of reverberating in my chest and my and my head. It's a very relaxing it's very relaxing it's like, yeah yeah i would
2: never tried that before but it was definitely a calming sound yes i'm so pleased you have said that because what it does is it stimulates the ventral vagal nerve so the vagus system there's different aspects to that and these are the big big nerves that come out of the brain stem into the whole body and they basically then innovate the majority of the organs and so the ventral vagal that's the front vagal it's associated with relaxation and the parasympathetic nervous system so when we make that sound it, it actually stimulates that nerve and helps the body relax and that's mm. what also helps digestion
1: okay so if you are feeling stressed or maybe you're getting that sort of breathing up in your neck and your upper chest that just using that sound is going to help you dull down that sort of panic and that, those negative emotions.
2: Yes, particularly if you do it deeply and with energy and low. And the other thing I notice in people is that often people who are not familiar with this kind of experience, they tend to like raise the neck and look up a little bit. And if you can relax the back of the neck and let the head hang a little bit,
1: And how many times would you look to do that? Is there a set number of times or just until you feel better?
2: Well, in my sessions, I would often do it three times and just check in with my clients between each because it tends to build on itself. But there's no set number of ways of doing it. And it's not like you do it more and more and more. You do it and then you feel. So those two sides of the cycle are equally important. There's another
1: the difference.
2: That's so. Then you notice, and it's that awareness you see because that then trains your whole system to realize this thing that your brain thinks is nuts. You know, I've got this dreadful problem. I've got to solve it. What am I doing here, making this silly sound? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But if we realize that each time we do that, we feel a lot better, and then we start to actually think better. Then that's where the benefit comes because when we're in panic, actually, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that's involved in uh, intelligent decision making, tends to uh, go offline. So we actually can't think. I mean, we know this, you know, we all know this from experience. And this helps actually the brain, helpful part of the brain Mm -hmm. rather than the animal brain that's just trying to survive, come more online. Wow.
1: I love this.
2: This is great. This is really different as well. So thank you. Well, I just thought on the subject of the VU, we might just add one more stage. Again, this is from Peter Levine, which is so we start exactly the same way with the VU. And then we go to R. And the R is a big sound with the whole mouth of the jaw. So I'll, I'll demonstrate again. And then we go back to VU. So it's VU.
1: for those listening on the podcast you opened your mouth really really wide is, is that part of it to really open your mouth as wide as you can
2: yes it is because it's part of it is, is to free up the jaw so one of the other issues that perhaps you've encountered uh, sarah in some of the people that you've been helping on the physical levels people get jaw issues they get pain in their jaw Because, you know, on the one hand, when something is is happening that they feel, you know, some outrage, let's say, around. And at the same time, to express that outrage might make the situation worse. What you have is two conflicting impulses going on in the body at the same time. You have the desire to, to shout or be angry and you have the impulse to hold that back. And again, in the animal kingdom, if if we were unfettered, you know, the animals use the jaw; they they bite, they they growl, um, yeah. and it helps to release that conflict within the body. It doesn't mean you're going to now become a growling animal and you won't be able to hold yourself back when the next situation arises. It means that when you're in a relatively safe place back home, you know, not interacting with anyone, you're not still holding that. Um, conflict within yourself
1: yeah I mean I I used to grind my teeth at night yes uh, and wake up with a very sore jaw yes might have been part of that right
2: yes yes because the jaw wants to do something Um, and this gives it a place to actually express that so the idea of opening the mouth as you pointed out is very much it's like the animal bearing its teeth and okay tandem. I want to try this I want to try it okay, okay. So maybe this time I'll sit back because I think it will sound better if it's just one person and then you get a chance to fully experience it and I'll okay. just be with you in spirit so it's
1: the voo and then it goes to that ah and then you open your mouth
2: really wide and then back yes. to the voo I guess yes back to the okay. oo I, I made a mistake earlier when I said okay. that I said voo ah oo and then it just settles things back so the okay. same breath voo ah oo Ooh, ah, ooh, and then with the R, ah,
1: open your mouth as wide well as possible. So, those people listening, and uh, you may be in the supermarket, but if you're in the car, maybe, or you're walking along, let's do this together. Okay. Right. Let me close my eyes. And.
2: Ooh lovely and just take a breath and see if you can relax the muscles at the back of your neck just let them soften and in the front that's right so it's almost as if with your eyes closed you're looking down just below your belly button that's it and then just imagine the breath is breathing you and then just whenever you're ready you can slowly open your eyes just still noticing any sensations in the body
1: I really enjoyed that. Ah, because I think sometimes, you know, in life, you're right, you know, especially if you've been in a relationship with a difficult person, you suppress your voice. Mm. And that's something that we do because, like you said, it's probably the, you know, the the safest thing for you to do from very many different aspects of that word, safe, to protect yourself, people around you, not to aggravate, pick your battles, but never to truly express who you are or what you truly feel and okay that might be during the relationship but because you may have been trained that way for a period of time that becomes ingrained which makes it really hard then when you come out the other side to reconnect with that and there is something quite freeing about ah you know it's almost like from the guts I think that's what I felt like it sort of comes from deep and it's, it's great to be able to
2: do that. Well, I'm delighted that you've had that experience. It was a pleasure actually just to, to be with you doing that because it's this animation that creates aliveness, you know, and, and I think what you're also talking about is a sense of empowerment. It's like, yeah. here I am, here's my voice, here's my truth. Yeah, I want to do that again and again. I
1: think I've got to go after this, going <laughs> around my house, doing that. Until I really get it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. I love that. What else can you share with us? Because I know you do so many things and I want to pack this episode with as many <laughs> helpful tips for my listeners as possible.
2: Well, I was thinking about also the scene, because in a way, what we're talking about with the VU and the ah and the oo is, is we're giving space for an incomplete impulse, the impulse, the physical impulse to, to make a sound or to express or to be angry or to attack you know, uh, not that I'm advocating attacking, I'm not, but the impulse within us that can express that outrage, it's helpful to give it space. And then the system comes back into, into balance. So similarly with, we you're talking about heartbreak, and I think, you know, there's the acute heartbreak, which is just agonizing, you know, it just is. Yeah, And, and I think the difficulties come when that acute heartbreak becomes a chronic situation where it becomes pining yeah, and, and the person has circular thoughts and they can't move on, you know, in those situations, it's very helpful to be able to, um, to find enough safety to let the feelings um, come through and resolve. And it's this theme of safety that really creates the opportunity and the atmosphere for that to happen. So if you think about what we've just done with the VU and the R ah and the oo, and the system coming into a little bit more settled state, that starts to create a better feeling of safety in the body. And um, another thing that allows safety is slowing down. So you've probably noticed, and I imagine the listeners will have noticed, that when they're particularly upset, they speak very fast. Um, I, I remember a friend of mine from school still teases me because one time I forgot we had a physics topic test. And um, these were really difficult tests. And I arrived at school and we had this test, and I was just running around shouting at a million miles an hour topic test, topic test, topic test, like nothing at all constructive. You know, I was just absolutely terrified. And so, what we've done helps us to slow down. And actually, um, the breath and the awareness of the body can help us slow down. So, as I'm going to introduce an exercise around the heart, Um, I wanted to also introduce an exercise around the womb for women. And if you're a man listening, uh, we can translate this as the perineum. And the perineum is the place underneath the genitals at the base of the body. And this creates, um, it's the two of these together that creates a sense of flow within a person. So again, we talked about the panic, which is up here. Similarly, we can become overcharged in the heart. Like there's just too much. We can't cope. And so we're not going to release a feeling from the heart when everything is just too much. What we need is this balance with the guts and with the womb and with with men, with the perineum. We need to have a sense of ourselves as being something more than this so um just to come back to the word tantra we're talking about expansion that's what the word means in sanskrit it means expansion and weaving so when we feel that we're bigger than this little problem which is a huge problem but when we feel that we exist beyond the problem then we have some agency Mm. and the listeners might like to join me if you were to place one hand on your womb And if there are men listening to this program, you could instead of placing it on your womb center, just sit on your hand so that your hand is in contact with your base. And then your other hand is on your chest, so between the nipples and the center of the chest. That's great. And just close your eyes and just notice the sensations of a hand that's either on your womb or your perineum. And you'll notice that as your hand, you can feel your belly or you can feel. The base of your body. And then you'll notice that as your base, as your perineum, or as your womb, you'll feel your hand. And just see if you could allow the quality of this hand to be one of support, to be one of care, to perhaps embody the words: I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. Be how you want to be. And so as your belly, as your womb, or as your perineum, you can feel your hand with this comforting attitude. And similarly, in your chest, at your heart, with the hand on your chest, you can feel your chest. And inside, you can imagine yourself as your heart, feeling this hand saying, I'm here for you. And just imagine as you're breathing, you can let your awareness just rise with your breath up to your heart and fall with the out-breath down to your belly or your perineum. There's a sense of a gentle, slow rising and falling from low down in the body as you breathe in up to the chest. And as you breathe out from the chest, releasing as if your breath is now falling out of your body on the out-breath. It's slow, it's gentle, it's natural. And as you breathe like this, just become aware of the womb or of the perineum, if there are any sensations or thoughts or images that you get from this place. As if your womb or your perineum were conveying some kind of archaic wisdom or some sense of knowing. And then very, very slowly, very, very slowly, you can let your eyes come open. Still with your hands on your body. And see if you could let 70% of your awareness still be inside your body. So your eyes are open, but you're not looking for or at something. You're just sensing what's going on inside your body. So now you're in relationship with the world, but you're also at home in yourself. And then you can relax the hand that's on your heart and relax the hand that's on your womb or perineum. But still see if you can keep at least 60% of your awareness on the inside. And this is called receptive gaze.
1: That's amazing. I've never really done that before. So I've gone into your body and sort of focusing on the inside, actually. It's very powerful. Actually, I'm a bit kind of yes. <laughs> relaxed and yes. tasty. It is quite a deep experience when yes. you really play full out with that and you really go deep and you feel. And that sort of sensation of, of the breaths falling and the energy rising and falling. It's very reassuring, I think, and comforting. It's almost like giving yourself a bit of a hug, in a way. You kind of feel internally hugged, (laughs) which is very empowering to be able to take that back for yourself rather than being reliant on others to make you feel like that. Just to be able to step in and and focus, even for a few seconds, as we just did, and and get that reassurance and grounding, I think, that everything's going to be okay. You know, this is a small thing in relation to our existence I guess it gives you a bit of that sort of perspective which is really helpful.
2: Thank you it's, it's just a pleasure to hear you say that you know because I know for myself so I'm also divorced and I know that you know I've never been so long without physical you know, affection and physical touch and that was like in itself a baffling experience because you know i'd been married quite young i'd been in relationship immediately before that i'd never been single for a long period of time i'd always taken for granted that there would be someone there and you know i realized that one of the things that i yearned for in touch you know was that sense of coming home to myself and when i realized that i could actually touch myself in a way that didn't just feel empty that felt actually full you know it was quite remarkable yeah
1: oh it's a really interesting experience i will be practicing that one as well that's it for today's episode join me on my next episode for part two of my interview with the
0: That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sarah's virtual retreats.